Question for you, and I want to hear a few responses. Here's the question. What can't you live without? What can't you live without? God. Preach. That's what I'm talking about. Now let's get a little worldly. It's okay to get a little worldly on this one. What can't we live without? McKenna. Coffee. Is there anyone that can't live without a little coffee? I don't. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. That's okay. All right. What else? Brandon, what, what can't we live without? Hey, you guys got to listen to each other. Brandon, what can't we live without? Food. Now you're speaking my love language. What kind of food? Just so I can begin to think about it. Like what kind though? Think, give me, give me. Italian. Mm. Sushi. Come on. All right. What else can't we live without? Cody. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. We can't live without Coca-Cola. What else can't we live without? Mackie? Phones. Does anyone have their phone and they're just like, I love this thing. Like, it's so nice to me. It tells me things, right? All right, what else? Anything from the back over there? Jeremiah, I want you to give me something. What can't you... Hey, guys, let's all focus on Jeremiah. He's got something really brilliant to say. Jeremiah, what's something we can't live without? What'd you say? Wi-Fi. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. That's a good one. What, Jeremiah? Anything? Something good. What? Shoes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, and we'll do one last one over here. Hold on, guys. Joshua, Houston, compound word, brown. Would you tell us? Hey. Can't live without HSM. Joshua. I don't have favorites, but you're my favorite. Thank you. I appreciate that, Joshua. Um, so I asked you this question. I'm asking you this question. What can't you live without? Because even if it maybe it didn't like surface to your mind, I guarantee that there are things that you can't live without. It's the thing you first think about. It's the thing that occupies your mind. It's the thing that's most important to you. And we're continuing this series that we began last week called The Revolutionary Way, where we're studying this, this sermon that spans three chapters of scripture where Jesus is just going after it in terms of what does it mean to follow him. And I know that there are people in this room right now who aren't following Jesus, and that's awesome because we're glad you're here, and our hope is that you do begin to follow Jesus. And you see, when Jesus, was, when Jesus was preaching this sermon, he was delivering it to a crowd and he was delivering it to the disciples. So he was talking to a group of people who loved him and who wanted to learn about him. And then he was talking to the crowd who were just kind of mildly interested. And I don't know if you're on that fast track to following him or you're kind of just asking some questions. Well, you're welcome here. But this, this message and, and this sermon that Jesus preaches is just as much for you as it is for a disciple. And Jesus, in part two of this sermon, as we're going to continue to explore it for months and months and months, in part two, he addresses something that culturally they couldn't live without. In the first century, which is when Jesus was around, we believe he was born around the year 4 BC, in the first century, when Jesus was doing ministry, there were two things that nobody could live without. There were two things that everybody had to have. There were two things that were absolutely essential to life, and the two things were this, salt and light. Salt and light. Here's why. If you put yourself in the first century, there's no fridges, right? There's no, you know, ice chests. There's no coolers. There's no fancy ice dispensers. And so the way in which you keep meat that would usually decay, the way in which you keep it from decaying is by putting salt on it. Or if you think about it back then, they, they didn't have a whole ton of spices, and so one of the ways that you would make food that would kind of taste pretty bland, one of the ways you would make food taste a little bit better was to add salt to it. You see, salt was a precious commodity. In fact, you couldn't live without it. The second thing, the second most valuable thing in the first century was light. That this is before electricity. 
This is before iPhone, the strobe feature. This is before any of that stuff. This is before you could just flick a switch and all of a sudden all the lights come on. That having access to light, having access to oil and fire so that you could see what was happening around you in the dark was incredibly valuable. And you couldn't live without it. And so Jesus, in the first century, he begins to, to paint a picture of who we are to be in light of who he is. And so Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse 13, Jesus says this, you, he's looking at the crowd, he's looking at the disciples, he's looking at all of them and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The people who were first hearing this would have been like blown away. That Jesus was saying that they were so significant, that they were so important to the kingdom of God, that they mattered so greatly, that they were, they were so significant and important that Jesus compared them to salt. And when they would have heard this for the first time, when they would have heard, you are the salt of the earth, they would have known immediately, oh my gosh, me? Like, I'm the salt, of, like, like, this is like iPhone 7 plus status, right? This isn't like an iPhone, you know, 3. This is like iPhone 7 plus status. Jesus is saying, no, you are so important, so critical to the world. That without you, what he's implying here is that without you, the world falls apart. That you are the salt of the earth. I want to ask you a question. When you think about, all right, how many, this is awful. Does anybody eat lean cuisine? Anybody ever had a lean cuisine? We'll pray for you after, because that's horrible. Um, this can't be good for you. Courtney went and bought me a lean cuisine. I don't know what she's trying to say, but she bought me a lean cuisine, and she heated up, and, and I'm looking at this, and can anyone else see this? Anyone else see this? Right, I mean, I mean, Mackenzie, first response is when you see that. I mean, it looks like somebody actually threw up, and then they just kind of moved some things around, right? Like, can anyone else see this? I'm sorry if any of your parents like invented lean cuisine. I don't mean to make fun of them, but, um, but this is pretty jacked up as it is, right? And you look at this and you go, man, for me, a guy who likes to eat like Brandon, like I look at that and I go, I don't know if that's gonna cut it. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say, this is, this is like the world. And, and, and you as Christians, you as Christians are like the salt. And here's what a lot of us settle for. Here's what a lot of us think Jesus deeply desires for us as his people is that we would go to youth group every single night of the week. That we would constantly just be hanging out with each other. That, that as we're over here, our primary job is to look at the world and say, oh man, Ooh, really? Gross. And you guys, this is really big because right now in the culture, and maybe you haven't participated in this, hopefully, but, but in our culture, it's becoming really popular for Christians to look at the world and be so critical of the world. To look at the world and say, man, the world's going to hell. Man, how, the world is so jacked up. 
Man, I can't believe the world, and, and we can just go on and on and on about this world and how horrible it is, and what we do as Christians is we think what God wants us to do is just become more and more critical of the world and move farther and farther away from it, and some of us even pray, God, I can't wait till I'm out of this place, till I'm gone, because we think that God wants us all the way over here. Now, is spending time in community important? It's essential, absolutely. Is digging in and reading the word of God and letting it shape you and transform you essential to your life? Absolutely. Is being in worship essential? Absolutely. Is hanging out with each other absolutely essential? Yes, 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 but. But Jesus said the kind of people that I wanna create, the kind of kingdom that I wanna make is one where there are those relationships and we are impacting each other and we are speaking into each other's lives and we are pouring into each other and we are coming together and we are worshiping but then we never forget that our job is actually to go into this world that desperately needs Jesus and as the people who bear his name, as the people who have been saved by him, that we go and we share him. And we spread out. Jesus is saying, man, if, if salt just like loses its saltiness, meaning it loses kind of its significance and its, and its meaning and, and what it's supposed to do, then it's just not worth anything anymore. Here's what's crazy. In the first century, there were two properties. One of them was salt, and the other one was this property called gypsum. Salt and gypsum looked identical to each other. They looked absolutely identical to each other. In fact, people, when they would draw them out of the Dead Sea, they would look at the two of them and they looked identical, but here was the difference. Gypsum, when applied to meats or when applied as a flavoring to preserve or to add flavor, it didn't do the job. In a sense, it looked the part, but it wasn't actually following through. But true salt, true salt is the kind that that recognizes that its purpose actually belongs in making the world better, in doing something significant. The way to kind of phrase it is this, and kind of here's our big idea. Christians are not called to be critical of the world, they're called to be critical to the world. Do you catch that? Like, like your job on your campus at school with your friends, whoever you're hanging out with, is not to be the Christian club that sits in the back and go, oh, I can't believe what Dennis did. Right? Oh, Samantha and Mikey hooked up again. I knew it was coming. You know? That's actually not our jobs as Christians in how we interact with the world. Now, no, no, don't miss me. Don't miss me here. As brothers and sisters in Christ, and we've studied this in Matthew chapter 18, when somebody in the family is sinning and there's sin, it's our job to hold them accountable and it's our job to confront them. In fact, Jesus gets really clear. He says, if a brother or sister is sinning, it is actually your job to go up to them and say, hey, you're sinning. <laughs> That's a fun conversation. In the family, that happens. But, but, when Jesus talks about how we are to engage with the world, he says your job primarily is not to be critical of the world, it's to be critical to the world. Students, let me ask you this question who, who are at a campus or a school somewhere. If all the Christians, if all the followers of Jesus left your school, 
would your school even notice? Think about it. Yeah, I guess if you're at a private school, that might, you're like, where are, there's like five left. Okay. But think about it. In the places where you hang out, where there's not a lot of Jesus followers, if you were removed from that situation, would they go, oh man, something's wrong. Something's not right. I've asked you this question before and I continue to ask it because I want to see you continue to live it out. Are you a blessing or a burden when you walk around? Are you a blessing or a burden as you interact with people who don't know Jesus? Because Jesus' vision of this big kingdom that he's forming is people who recognize that they are actually so essential to the world and maybe, maybe the reason you don't act like a follower of Jesus, maybe the reason you don't live like a follower of Jesus, maybe the reason you're not making an impact on your campus is because you don't think you're significant. You need to know that when Jesus looks at you, he says you are irreplaceable. You are essential. That when I think about what I'm, when Jesus says, I'm, as I'm thinking about what we're going to do in the world, you are the main ingredient. Did you know that? Did you know that when Jesus wants to reach people around you, his desire is not for you to just sit back like a spectator and just watch. His desire and hope is that you would be an active participant because you know that your job is not to be critical of the world, it's actually to be critical to the world. Second analogy Jesus uses is this. You are the light of the world. Flip me real quick to John uh, chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Check this out. John chapter 8, verse 12. Another gospel passage, it says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And because I am the light of the world, I will give you by the power of the Holy Spirit for anyone who walks in my name, who is following me, who has received my forgiveness and salvation, I will give that light that I am to you so that you would go and illuminate the world. I think what Jesus is saying is, this world is broken, and you know that. This world is dark. Jesus is not trying to shy away from the sin and the brokenness in the world. He's just trying to remind you that you actually have a part in making things better, not in being a commentator on the side. And for some of you, your following Jesus looks like a lot of commentary. And it doesn't look like a lot of digging in and saying, my job is to actually go in community with other followers of Jesus into the world and to make an impact, to love people. With your teach, I mean, just think about your teachers. Think about your friends. Think about the people you're playing sports. I mean, do, do these people, do they know that the Lord is with you? Um, I was up at Thousand Pines this last weekend speaking, and the theme for winter camp, for many of you that are going, the theme for winter camp is gonna be the life of Joseph. And you'll see over and over and over again that God was with Joseph. It says over and over again, he goes from the palace to the prison and everywhere in between. And it says over and over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph. And not only does it says the Lord is with Joseph, but it says over and over again that Potiphar, that the prison guard, that Pharaoh, everybody saw that the Lord was with Joseph. 
Do the people in your life, do the people in your life, would they say, man, it is so crystal clear that the Lord is with that person, that there is something noticeably different about that person? Now, I don't wanna steer us into this like works-based relationship with God where it's like, okay, now I gotta do a bunch of stuff in order to become this kind of person. No, no, you know what it's about? It's about recognizing that the light of the world, Jesus, came, made his dwelling among us, died for us, rose from the grave, took all of his love and his life and his light and shared it with every single one of us so that everywhere we go, including the wrestling match. You know what I'm talking about, Alicia? Did you guys know Alicia is a wrestler? Isn't that amazing? She's like kicking boys' butts. That's what I'm talking about. So as Alicia, as Alicia is literally on the match, about to face off, and as she's looking at this boy, and she's like, dude, I'm gonna make you cry, and you're gonna like lose that girlfriend. But anyway, we're about to wrestle. We gotta figure out what does it mean in those places to actually be a light to actually be salt, that when people hang out with you, they go, man, something's different. And you know how you become that kind of person? You spend time with Jesus. I mean, this kind of heart change does not come from being more religious. It comes from being more relational with your creator. I, I feel this pressure a lot, I go, man, I, I wanna change. Man, I want to be more like God. I want to act more like him. I want to be, I want to be salt and light everywhere I go. And I feel like Jesus is saying, stop focusing on, on being salt and light. Just focus on spending time with me. And that as I hang out with Jesus and as you hang out with Jesus, he who is the light of the world begins to shine through us and begins to do things in us and Jesus says it perfectly when he says this, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, not the way you talk, not your fancy religious lingo, but your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's God's end game for you. People would see you and they'd glorify him. Is that happening? People, when people interact with you, when people see you, are they drawn to Jesus or are they just drawn to yourself? Or do they become your enemy? I just have one last little tangent and then I'm gonna wrap it up. I think about some of the stuff that's going on in our culture right now. Some of the politics, some of the, just the stuff going on. And as I see people posting things online, you know what that does? That pushes everyone away. And, and, and I know some of that stuff can be really important to us and it feels really significant, but you know what happens? When we become so passionate about a position or about some other person or whatever, you know what happens? It, it pushes people away from us and we lose the opportunity for them to see us and initially and connect with Jesus. People begin to see us, and, and this is really important. When people see you, do you want them to see a political affiliation? When people see you, do you want them to think about a stance? When people see you, and let's, let's, we, can, we can take off the heat a little bit. When people see you, do you want them to see cool or impressive or wealthy 
or this or that? I mean, when, when people see you, what do you want them to see? Because anything less than them seeing Jesus is to miss it. And so students, I wanna challenge you lovingly to take this idea of being salt and light and recognize that when people see you, they will see something. Do you want them to see an idea, a philosophy, a person, a party, whatever it may be? Or do you want them to see Jesus? I want you to process that in your small groups. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to gather together. I pray that as we break up into our small groups for the next 40 minutes, God, would you just help us to maybe wrestle with some of these ideas of being salt and light? I know it's challenging, God, and I'm so grateful that you are the light of the world, that that all we gotta do is just get close to you, just continue to move closer to you, and as you transform us and change us, that, that we will become critical to the world and not just critical of the world. And God, if there's things in our lives, ways that maybe people have seen us and then we've maybe pushed them towards an ideology or a way of living or whatever it may be. I pray, Jesus, that you would, that you would give us a bigger picture for what our lives could, could mean, for the stories our lives could tell. That instead, we would be the kind of people that when they see our good deeds, when they see our lives, they glorify you. Help us to become those kinds of people in this revolutionary way that you are establishing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey.